Today's year begins in the middle of Daf Dalid. You'll notice uh, Mishnah in the middle, 21 lines from the top. We begin. Hareni Kishimshon Keben Monoach Kebal Delila. Someone accepts upon himself or vows to be like Shimshon, the son of Manoach, the husband of Delila. The Rabbeinu Tam has a girsa as follows: U kemi sheokar dalsois aza, u kemi shenokru plishtim es enov. Or someone says he wants to be like the one who uprooted the gates of the city of Aza which of course is a reference to Shimshon, or to be like the one whom the Philistines gouged out his eyes. The result of these different expressions is that the person will be a Nozir like Shimshon. What characterizes a Nozir Shimshon, this will be discussed in the next Mishnah, when the Mishnah asks, what is the difference between a Nozir Olam and a Nozir Shimshon? We can say at this point, though, that Shimshon was a lifetime Nozir. So, if one uses any of these expressions, so he will become just that, a Nozir like Shimshon. The Gemara asks, regarding the language of the Mishnah, Lomali Lemisna Kol Halin, in order for one to become a Nozir like Shimshon, why were all these descriptions necessary? Tzrichi. So in order to conclude that he would be a Nozir like Shimshon of uh, biblical fame, you need all of these expressions. And what do we mean by all of these? So let's go on in the Gemara. Di'i Omar Hareni Shimshon. If a person would have said, I am going to be like Shimshon. I would have thought he's referring to some other Shimshon. If you open a phone book, you'll find many people with the name Shimshon. It's not clear what he would have been saying had he just said that. Therefore, the Mishnah adds that if he's interested in accepting upon himself Nazirus like that of Shimshon of biblical fame, he would have to have said Kishimshon ben Monoach. And had he said that, now some uh, girsos, it appears maybe the Toysus has the, a following girs as well, that the Gemara at this point is saying that had he said, I would be like Shimshon ben Monoach, have Amino, I would have thought, there are other people out there, Shimshon ben Monoach. Therefore, Komash Malon Kibal Delila. Therefore, once again, following the Toysvis interpretation, in order for him to accept, and for us to be clear that he's accepting the type of Nazirus that Shimshon of biblical fame practiced, he would have had he would have to say, Hareni Kishimshon ben Manoach Kibal Delila. I am like Samson, the son of Manoach, the husband of Delilah. Alternatively, he could have said, Ukemi shenokru plishtim es enov. Or, he could have said, like we saw in the Mishnah, Kemi sheokar dalsois aza. Those expressions on their own would have been clear. There are no other people of that, uh, having that fame 
i.e. that they uprooted the gates of Aza, or that they, their eyes were gouged out by the Philistines. So, at this point, it would seem that there are three expressions that would lead one to becoming a Nazir Shimshon, the first being, had he said, I, I would like to be like Shimshon ben Manoach Baal Delilah, or I'd like to be like the one was, that was Oikir Dalsus Azah, or I would like to be like the one whose eyes were gouged out by the Philistines. The Mishnah. Ma bein Nazir Oilam the Nazir Shimshon. Having said already that Shimshon was a lifetime Nazir, what is the difference between someone who accepts upon himself the status of a Nazir Oilam versus that of a Nazir Shimshon? So the Mishnah answers, Nozir Oilam Hichbit Syro Meiko Bataro A person who accepts upon himself Nozir Olam status, if his hair becomes lengthy or literally heavy, he can reduce he can cut the hair to reduce the the, the load of hair on his head. And in doing so, he'll have to bring three sacrifices, three behemoths, three animal offerings, which is characteristic of a nausea when he takes his haircut. Ve'im nitma mevi korban tuma, and if he, the nausea olam, becomes defiled to the dead, so then he has to bring the relevant sacrifices. Nausea shimshon. Now, in contrast, the nausea shimshon hichbud sairo His hair might get heavy, like very long, he can't reduce it. Ve'im nitma eno mevi korban tuma, and if he becomes defiled, he does not bring a korban of tumah. The korban tumah being uh, of two birds and a guilt offering. Two birds, a korban, an, uh, an oif, that's a chatos, oif, it's an oila, uh, and an animal, that's an osham. The Gemara asks, regarding the Mishnah, the Mishnah asked, what is the difference between a nazir olam and a nazir shimshim? But we haven't heard that there exists such a thing, such a practice as a Nazir Olam. Before you can ask what is the difference between the, the, these two items, you have to establish that they both exist. So, Nazir Olam man dekar shmei, who made any mention of the existence of such a practice known as Nazir Olam? The Gemara answers, The Mishnah is actually taught in a terse fashion, and in order to appreciate its real meaning, its real understanding, the following would have to be uh, spelled out. One who accepts upon himself permanent Nazarite status, he becomes thus. Now that we've established that there is such a practice known as Nazir Olam, we can ask the question that we saw in the Mishnah, what is the difference between a Nazir Olam and a Nazir Shimshon? And the Nazir Shimshon, we've already established, and we know that from the, uh, from the scriptures, that he was a permanent Nazir. So what's the difference between these two? Just like we saw in the Mishnah. We continue at the top of Omid Beis. The Gemara infers, Korban hu delo maisi, avol nazirus chayli olei. 
the Mishnah is telling us that if he becomes defiled, so he doesn't bring the korban of a nazir tameh, but the acceptance of nazir shimshon uh, as the nazirus of shimshon does set in. He does become a nazir. Money must listen. Well, with that having been said, according to whom? Is our mission our? In other words, our mission is authored by which Tana? Low Rebbe Yehuda, below Rebbe Shimon. It doesn't appear to be consistent with either of these Tanaic opinions. And we're beginning a long question, as you can see, according to our markings. So, according to our mission, and the topic heading on the side in the margin of the Gemara reads: Lefi Mishnah Seinu. According to our mission, in Ziru Shimshon Nitan Lekabel, it is possible to accept that type of the Ziru Sumashma. And it, it appears from our Mishnah that uh, defilement to the dead is acceptable but only post facto, not as a first choice with regard to someone who is a Nazir Shimshon. So, with that having been said, Moni Masnison, who would have said all of that? A, namely, that you can become a Nazir Shimshon and that there, it, there exists. A primary prohibition of the Nazir Shimshon defiling himself to the dead. So, as we saw in the Gemara, that doesn't seem to conform to either the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda nor Rabbi Shimon. Desanya, Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, Nazir Shimshon, Mutter, Litame, Lamesim. Here you see, not like what was implied by the Mishnah, that a Nazir Shimshon is allowed to defile himself to the dead. We found in the biblical passage uh, featuring Shimshon that he defiled himself to the dead. And Rabbi Shimon taking the other extreme, that one who says, I am a Nazir like Shimshon, said nothing. Uh, we don't find that, Rabbi, that Shimshon himself, of biblical fame, accepted upon himself Nazirus. According to Rabbi Shimon, then it appears that in order for uh, Nazirus to take hold, it would have to be some practice that one accepts upon himself. We don't find that Shimshon nor his father accepted upon them, Shimshon, in the case of his father, a father has a right to impose Nazirus on his son. But we don't find that having taken place in the case of Shimshon. So, money, uh, our Mishnah is in accordance with whom? Uh, if our Mishnah were to be Rabbi Huda, he said he can, as a first choice, the Nazir Shimshon, as a first choice, can defile himself to the dead. And our Mishnah states it in the post facto fashion that if he became Tomei, but not that a Nazir Shimshon is allowed to defile himself. And E. Rabbi Shimon, if our Mishnah were in accordance with Rabbi Shimon, according to Rabbi Shimon, a person who declares himself a Nazir Shimshon has said nothing. But our Mishnah doesn't say like that. In truth, our Mishnah is like Rabbi Huda. Since the Mishnah taught 
with regard to the Nazir Olam defilement as a post facto uh, situation if he became Tomei, not as a first choice. So to maintain, we'll say, the similarity of style, uh, of literary style, Tononami Gabi Nazir Shimshon Im Nitma. So the Mishnah taught in the context of Nazir Shimshon similarly if he became Tomei, but in fact, there is that difference that a Nazir Olam is not allowed to, as a first choice, expose himself to defilement of the dead. Whereas a Nazir Shimshon, even according to our Mishnah, like Rabbi Huda, is allowed to initially expose himself as a first choice if he should so desire to defilement to the dead. At this point, we raise a question. It lasts a few lines, and on the side of our Gemara under the Tat no se tat no se being a sub topic heading, we've written Nisayon lahamid machlokes hatanoim bechalus nozir shimshon kemachlokes tanoim achirim. There's an attempt in our Gemara to parallel our machlokes tanoim, Rabbi Yudin Rabbi Shimon, regarding nozir shimshon. Is it a practice that takes hold and parallel to another machlokes tanoim? Someone who expressly dedicates, let's say, some vow to be parallel to a Bechor. Uh, for example, Hare Olai Ki Bechor. A person says that he, dec- he accepts upon himself that a particular item is like to be like a Bechor. Bechor is a firstborn male animal when, in reality, a person ha- experiences a, a firstborn kosher variety male animal born in his herd or in his flock, <coughs> it is holy. It is in the time of the Beis Hamidrash to be given to a Kohen who would bring it as a sacrifice to the Beis Hamidrash. The Bechor, technically speaking, is holy upon birth, even without your intervention, even without your declaration of sanctity. So, we continue with the note on the side. We want to, as we said, parallel our Machlokas Tanoim regarding Nazir Shimshon. Is it a reality? Uh, to a Machlokas Tanoim regarding someone who, who compares an item to a Bechor, Klomar. Hatzorech lahat pis nidro dafka bedavar For a neder, for a vow to take hold, is it absolutely necessary to parallel the item that you are, let us say, trying to forbid as a vow to an item that itself was previously made prohibited through a type of, of sanctification or a vow. When you sanctify something or dedicate something to the Holy Temple, so you are responsible for its prohibition for personal use. This might sound a bit abstract, but as we go on in the Gemara using examples, this will come clearer. So now, as we said, we have a question that lasts a few lines. Can we say that the Machlok Subyud and Rib Shimon, Rebut acknowledging Nozir Shimshon as reality, Rib Shimon saying it doesn't exist, parallels the following Machlokis Tanoim. Disnan, Hare Olai Kibachor. A person would say, for example, I accept upon myself this loaf of bread to be like a Bechor. 
maybe we should say just by way by, by way of general uh, introduction that if someone says hare olai kikarzu ke korban shlomim that would become a vow or hare olai ke korban ola if a person parallels <clears throat> an item says I uh, accept upon myself that uh, this uh, chair is to be upon me like a korban ola. A korban ola, an ola sacrifice, is a sacrifice, is an animal that you made prohibited. You sanctified it, and hence it's not available for personal use. That takes hold. What happens if you say, you are olai, tikarzu, I accept upon myself that this bread is to be, to me, like a bachor. Rabbi Yankiv Oyser, Rabbi Yankiv says such a vow takes hold. Rabbi Yossi Matir, Rabbi Yossi says such a vow is meaningless. My love, so now with that having been said, can we say the following? That Rabbi Yehuda, who acknowledged the existence of a Nozir Shemshon, Savar law, Rabbi Yankiv, he holds like Rabbi Yankiv that when one declares an item to be upon himself like a Bechor, it takes hold. That in establishing a vow, you don't need to parallel the item. We spoke, we spoke about a loaf of bread or a chair or whatever. You don't need to parallel it to something that was made prohibited by you. The item that you are currently prohibiting doesn't have to be molded or patterned after something else that is also made prohibited by you. For Rebbe Shimon Savar Law Kribyosi and Rebbe Shimon, who said that Nazir Shimshon doesn't exist, he would hold like Rebyosi Domar. That that holds that in order for a vow to take hold, you have to parallel the item you want to prohibit right now to something else that becomes usher through becomes prohibited through your intervention. So, as we said in the at the beginning of this question, can we make this parallel between the two Tanaic controversies? The Gemara says, "Lo, that isn't not the case." The Kule Alma, Rabbi Yankiv and Rabbi Yossi, both of them, Boin on Dover Hanidar, they say that in order for something to be prohibited through the mechanism of a vow, you would have to parallel it to something that itself is made prohibited by your intervention, by your declaration. And therefore, Shimshon, who we never saw, became also through personal acceptance, through their having, through Shimshon having accepted upon himself a vow of Nisirus. So Rabbi Yankiv and Rabbi Yossi would, would both, between themselves, would say that a person who, who declares himself a Nazir Shimshon, he has said nothing. Well, if that's the case, if they agree that you need to parallel your neder, your vow to something that itself is nidar, that something else that you declare or you make usher, then why does Rabbiankiv say, in the case of Bukhor, which we said you don't really make usher, it's born usher? Why does such a vow, when you parallel something to a Bukhor, why does that? 
take hold. The shiny Gabi Bukhor, the case of Bukhor is different. Lashem. The there's a reference in the Pusuk to God's name. And since Lashem appears in the Pusuk, it says uh, the Pusuk says Ish Kiyidor Neder Lashem. And that Lashem word, a name that appears in the context of vow making is Larabois Es HaBachor that comes to include paralleling items to a Bechor even though a Bechor is not a real Dover HaNidar but it's an exception it's another it's an example of something that can be used to formulate a vow as we said I want a person uh, prohibits upon himself the use of a chair like a Bechor Rabbiosi, Omar Loh, Rabbiosi, who said that paralleling something to a Bechor uh, is useless, it's futile. Ahu Lashem, the name Lashem in the Posset that we cited, Miboyalei, he needs it for something else, the Rabbi's Chatos Vyosham, to include as a useful vow mo- uh, model paralleling something to a sin offering or a guilt offering. Now, uh, let's just point out that a korban chatas or korban ashram are not voluntary offerings. They're not a type of sacrifice that you uh, electively sanctify. Uh, Electively meaning that through your own, let's say, uh, good nature, decide to sanctify. If one sinned, uh, so then he's required, assuming it's that type of sin that warrants this, these kind of sacrifices, so then he's obligated to bring these sacrifices. So the Chathas and Asham, as the Gemara will go on to point out, have a certain unique status in the realm of vow making, but suffice it to say that Rabbiosi does find value in the Lashem word in the Posuk to expand the, let's say, models to which one can parallel his vow uh, to a Chathas or Asham. Uma Royis Larabis Chathas Vashem Lahotias Bechor. Turning to Rabbiosi, we ask why is it that he's willing to accept the Chathas and Asham as serving as a model for a vow? as a mold uh, according to which one can parallel the item to those things and exclude a Bechor. Answer, Mar Bani Chatas V'Asham. The Chatas and Asham can serve as the model for a vow. Shekein Matpison Beneder. Because those animals or those kind of sacrifices you must expressly dedicate. That's Matpison Beneder. You must expressly dedicate them to be thus. In other words, if you become, if you let us say, violated that type of sin that warrants the bringing of a chathas rosham, you would have to initiate the sanctification of animals in your flock to serve as a chathas or osham. Umotzi ani es habachor shein matpiso and I exclude though the bachor. The bachor has no connection to vowing. It has no connection to any, uh, let's say, human initiative in terms of imposing prohibition. It's born that way. It's born prohibited. For a Bianke Vomar Loch, 
Rabbi Yankiv tells us, Bechor nami mapisa benedr hu. The Bechor does have an element of dedication associated with it. The Sanyo, as the following source reveals, Shalbeis Rabbeinu Omru, in the house of Rabbi Yudha Hanossi, it was said, Minayin l'noilad lo Bechor b'soch edro shemitzvah lov lahakdisho. From where do we know that someone that has a firstborn uh, male animal born in his flock that there is a mitzvah upon him to sanctify it. Shenema, the Apostle says, Hazachor takdish. The male you shall sanctify. For Abyosi, Omarlach, Rabyosi, who denied any, any um, vow, value to a Bechor, he will tell you, Nehid, the mitzvah, Akdisha, granted that you have fulfilled a precept if you sanctify it. However, and if you didn't initiate sanctity upon the Bechor, would it not be holy? It certainly would be holy anyway. The Gemara asks, You find the term Lashem found in the context of Nazir. So why then would Rabbi Yankov of Bechor, who Rabbi Yankov, who we saw above, was willing to accept as a legitimate vow the paralleling to a Bechor, why not say that Lashem by Nazir includes Nazir Shimshon? The Gemara answers, Ahu the, the Lashem term that you find in the case of Nizirus has already a separate function. I need it for the following. We're going to read a Tanaic source. There's a, a story in this source and we're going to see that the Lashem teaches us concerning one who accepts upon himself Nizirus in a truly Lashem Shomayim fashion. A truly say, holy benevolent, heavenly motivated fashion. Omar Shimon Atzadik. Shimon was from the uh, very beginning of the Tanaic period. Uh, and he lived during the time, of course, of the Beis HaMikdash. He says, Miyomai lo ochalti oshem nozir tomei chutz mi odom echad. I never partook of the guilt offering brought by a nozir who became defiled to the dead with the exception of one case, one person. Shaboy lai min A fellow came for me from the south. Yefei naim v'toiv roi A nice looking fellow, nice eyes, pleasant appearance. And he had locks of hair that were uh, that were set up in in uh, rows on his head. I asked him, no, and I know that you're a nazir. A nazir at the end of his nazir's period has to cut his hair. And I asked him, what is it that motivated you to accept nazirus that you now have to cut such beautiful hair? Omar li. So the man said, Roya ha'yisi lavi be'iri. 
I was a shepherd for my father in my town. And I went to draw water from the spring. And I, uh, I gazed upon the reflection in, my reflection in the water. And my evil inclination got the better of me. I saw in the reflection such a good-looking man. And with that emotion, it sought to cast me out of this world. Almarti Lo, I said to it, to the reflection, to I said to myself, Reka, you empty one, how is it that you become so over, overcome with feelings of haughtiness in a world that doesn't belong to you? That whose end is, is uh, decomposition and worms. This is an expression of a vow. And I'm going to shave you. I'm going to remove all the hair, all the beauty, for the sake of heaven. Well, this is what the man told me, said Shimon HaTzadik. I stood up and I kissed him on his head. Like you, there shall increase in numbers Nazirim amongst the Jewish people. Regarding someone like you, the Pesach says, A person who vows to accept upon himself Nazirus for purely heavenly purposes. So, Shimon HaTzadik tells us a story about a man whose Nazirus was so pure in its intention, so heavenly motivated, that even though they experienced defilement, he had no hesitation to partake of his sacrifices as opposed to a common situation of nausea defilement where one could be suspect that he, a person would come to regret having accepted the Nazirus because upon defilement, as, as we've mentioned in previous Shiurim, he elongates the Nazirus period, and he might come to regret the whole thing, and bringing sacrifices in with feelings of regret borders on the sin of Hulin Lazar, bringing animals that aren't even fit to be brought as sacrifices, and the likes of Shimon Atzadik wouldn't want to get and be involved with eating of animals of sacrificial meat like that. But someone like this, who is so heavenly motivated, all of those concerns about possible regret, even though they become defiled, fall away. And this is all learned from the Lashem that's in the Pesach of Nazir. So Lashem is not going to include Nazir Shimshon as a means of Nazirus as far as even Rabbi Yankiv is concerned. So though Rabbi Yankiv is willing to accept modeling something after a Bechor because of the Lashem in that Pesach that we cited earlier, but he's not going to include Nazir Shimshon as a Nazirus option. We continue in the Gemara. The Shimshon Lav Nazir Havei 
is it is that re- is it really so as we've been assuming along the way that Shimshon did not become a Nazir through standard vow procedures? Foxiv, the Pasuk in the case of Shimshon in the book of Judges, Shoiftim Perak Yud Gimel, it says, Kinozir Elikim Yehanar Min Habeten. Now, the thinking at this point is, as far as the Shimshon story is concerned, that an angel appeared and uh, told uh, the parents, told the father of Shimshon to impose on your son, Nazirus. And if that would have been done, if that would have been the actual story, so then Shimshon is an example of something accepted through standard vow uh, methods. Why then have we been treating Shimshon as a as an example of something that's not a Dover Hanidar? The Gemara says, in fact, Shimshon was not a Nazir through standard vow acceptance procedures. There, in the case of Shimshon, it was the angel of God that declared that Shimshon will be a Nazir without any statement of Nazir's acceptance either from Shimshon or his father. So Shimshon uh, was a Nazir, but that was some type of, we'll say, divine uh, declaration as opposed to a personal human acceptance as such. Does Nazir Shimshon exist? So we saw, according to Rabbi Yehuda, Nazir Shimshon exists as Nazirus, and that is only a result of a Pasuk that comes to include uh, Nazir Shimshon, we'll say, as a reality. The uh, explanation we just gave regarding Shitas Rabbi Yehuda can be found in the Rush, though there are other explanations. Uh, as far as how Rebuta comes to the conclusion that Nozir Shimshon is a reality. Let's continue in the Gemara. From where do we know that Shimshon defiled himself to the dead? As we mentioned earlier, the difference between uh, a Nozir Olam and a Nozir Shimshon was that the Nazir Olam is not allowed to, as a first choice, defile himself to the dead, whereas Nazir Shimshon can, and that would be based on the fact that Shimshon, the original Nazir Shimshon, had defiled himself to the dead. Where do we see evidence of that? On the side of the Gemara, we have a Nosei Mivne heading, a triangle appears, and you'll see it appears in alternating directions. This is a ma'akav, a, an attempt to keep track of the give and take of the Gemara. So with the point facing up, these are attempts to answer the question, from where do we know that Shimshon of uh, biblical fame defiled himself to the dead? The inverted triangle represents Dechios' rejections of whatever was suggested. So we continue with the Gemara. After having asked, from where do we know that he was Metamela Mesim? In the Posuk, it's uh, Shimshon announces that with the jaw of a donkey, I killed a thousand men. 
The Gemara says that doesn't show that he defiled himself to the dead, though. Dilma giruye gori bahu gabahu. Maybe he hurled the uh, the jaw of the donkey toward them and that, through that killed them. But that doesn't mean he had, he had actual contact with them, thereby killing them and thereby becoming defiled. Elo mehacha from the following. Vayach mehem shloishemish vayikach es chalitzosam. He killed thirty men and took their garments. So it would seem from here that first he killed them; they were dead, and then he removed their garments. He would have had to come into contact or overshadow them, thereby becoming defiled to the dead. The Gemara says not so. Dilma ashlechinun beresha v'hodar katlinon. Maybe as was well known he was a very strong uh, warrior-like figure that he actually stripped them first and then killed them so that uh, his contact with them after they were dead is not necessarily demonstrated in this source the Gemara says that's not so though the order of the Pasuk indicates first he, first he smote them and then he took their garments so that he did become defiled to the dead, as this Pesach indicates. The Gemara says, no, it's not convincing. Maybe he mortally wounded them, creating a gosses stays. Gosses is people in the throes of death. Not actually dead yet, but in the throes of death. They were in that state when he stripped them, thereby avoiding defilement. And only later did they actually die. So how do you know that Shimshon defiled himself to the dead? Ella Gemara Gemiri Law. It's an oral tradition. We, we don't have uh, solid scriptural evidence to that effect, but we do know through this oral tradition. Now, the Gemara reverts back to the topic of the Nozir Oilam. The Nazir Olam Hecha Ksiv. Regarding a Nazir Olam, where do you see that he is allowed to reduce the hair burden upon his head and bring the three animal offerings that accompany that cutting of hair? The Sanya. So we have a Tanaic source, and on the side we have the Nosei Mivne heading. Topic heading and structural note number one: Nazir Olam Hechoksiv. Where is there scriptural reference to the Nazir Olam? And as we added uh, the uh, allowance of cutting the hair and then the bringing of the three sacrifices, and the diamond that you see, diamonds that you see throughout this source, which continues on to the Hey Omid Aleph, are Shitos Binyan Zmane Giluach Shel Nazir Olam. The time frame within which a Nazir Olam is allowed to uh, reduce his hair burden. So the source, Rebbe Omer, Avshalom Nazir Olam Hoya. Avshalom, the son of King David, was a Nazir Olam. Shinema, the Pasuk says, Vayimi Boim Shona, Vayimir Avshalom Elam Melech, and it was after 40 years. Later, the Gemara will ask this 40 years 
started at what point in time? Here it says at the end of the 40 years. Beginning with what? Okay, that we'll discuss later. So it was at the end of 40 years, Vayomer Avshalom el Melech, and Avshalom said to his father, the king, Elcha no vashalem es nidri asher nadarti l'ashem b'chevron. And I want to go and fulfill my vow that I vowed in Hebron. Teisvus explains that a stam neder, a, an unqualified vow, implies nazirus. Uh, so from this we see that he, Avshalom, had accepted upon himself uh, nazirus. And the, uh, the, the trip to Hebron was in order for him to take his haircut and bring the sacrifices, the three sacrifices. This, of course, is at a time in history before the Beis Hamikdash had been set up. Rebbe tells us, this is Rebbe's opinion, and that is that the Nazir Olam reduces his hair burden once every 12 months, once a year. Shnemar once again, the Pesach in that very context involving Avsholom. The Gemara continues at the top of Heyomer Aleph. The term Yomim that you find by Avsholom is learned from the topic of houses in walled cities. Just like the topic of houses in walled cities, the halacha concerning those houses states that if a person sells a house in a walled city, he can buy it back from the purchaser within one year of his sale. However, if the house that was sold remains in the hands of the purchaser more than a year, the original buyer cannot force its resale back to him. So the law concerning Botir Choma is one year. Within one year you can force the resale back to the original owner. And the Pesach there says, Yomim Gulaso. That Pesach is quoted in the Rashi as well. So just like over there by Botir Choma, it's a 12-month Halacha, so to here, the Nazir Olam haircut time frame is every 12 months. Because here too, you see the word Yomim. He has a different time frame, once every 30 days. The Nazir Olam is entitled to reduce his hair, to cut his hair uh, every week. From Friday to Friday, that is the practice. That's the custom of princes to cut their hair once a week. And now we go over the uh, opinions that we saw. My time of the Rebbe. What's the basis of Rebbe's opinion of once every twelve months? Well, we said. He learns from the law concerning houses sold within walled cities. But one second, Rebbe, within the same context 
of Bote Ore Choma said that the word Yomim, Yomim is the plural form of the word Yom. Yom is a day. Yomim would be two days. So if you see the word Yomim in a plural form, it's no less than two. And what Rebbe is referring to is that a person who sells a house to a purchaser in a walled city, you know, it's a house in a walled city sold to a purchaser, it shall remain in the hands of the purchaser for two days. That means within two days you cannot force the resale of that house. So if this be the case, so then let us say that the Nozir Olam can take a haircut every two days. Shall we say that? The Gemara says no. Hi Gezerah Shava Mishum Kivid Gomir. The Gezerah Shava of Yomim Yomim, the word comparison involving Yomim Yomim was a word comparison within the context of, of overgrown hair, of heavy heaviness or le- uh, extended length of hair. Within two days, you don't experience increased growth of hair. So, that's patently rejected as a possible alternative meaning of Yomim as far as the Gezerah Shava and Rebbe are concerned. So, therefore, you're left with the other halacha of Batir Choma, namely that the buyback, if the original seller is interested, must take place within a year. On the side, we have an explanation of this marking scheme that you see. Just by skimming ahead in the Gemara, you see houses and double underlines repeated. And so, under the Mivne heading, we've written Hatzos, Chilufios. These are alternative suggestions. Bishitasa Shirebi. Within Rebbe's opinion, we saw the word comparison involving Yomim Yomim, according to Rebbe. It's, it tells us that a Nozir Olam can reduce his hair, uh, his hair burden, once a year. Could Rebbe not actually have learned a word comparison with a uh, leading to a different conclusion. So we saw one suggestion already, that every two days. Well, we rejected that, because the whole purpose of this word uh, comparison was within the context of uh, overgrown hair, COVID. Uh, uh, COVID means heaviness of hair. And that's not something that it, it one experiences within two days. Well, the Gemara continues, maybe Yomim means at the end of two years. That only once every two years can the Nozir Olam take his hair kadiktiv. The Pasik says, Yomim. So you see in, in Sefer Gracious the term Yomim appearing in the context of after two years. The Gemara responds, that's not going to change Rebbe's point of view. Why? I have in the case of uh, Avshalom, who was a Nazir Olam, the word Yomim, without it being coupled with the word Shonim. And therefore, in the case of Bote Orechoyma, I find a similar phenomenon. And do not let prove this possible from Bracious Perak Mem Aleph, where it's true you see the word Yomim, but it's coupled with the word Shonim, Shnosayim Yomim. 
So it's less, let's say, it's less parallel, less similar to the uh, case of, or to the appearance of the word Yomim by the Nazir Olam. Question, Maybe Yomim is a reference to a 30-day period. Once every 30 days he could take his haircut. Here you have the word Yomim in the context of one month. The Gemara says, no, this is not going to influence Rebbe either. I would prefer to maintain the similarity of Yomim as it appears by Nazir Olam to another case where Yomim appears without any, without Chadoshim attached to it, like you find by the Bote Rechoyma. And do not allow this to prove what Yomim means, because here, in this passage just cited by Midvor Perakud Aleph, you have the word you have the word Yomim coupled with Chodesh. So, again, it's not the same as the word Yomim as it appears by uh, Avsholom and the Nozir Olam, where it was Yomim without Chodesh. Question. Maybe we should learn Yomim from the following. Here is a posuk that deals with the, the daughter of Yiftach. Yiftach was one of the judges during the period of the Shoftim. And in the context of the daughter of Yiftach, without getting into the entire okay, storyline that you find in the book of Judges, we can just continue with the verses themselves. It says there, Miyomim Yomimo. And as Rashi explains, the, uh, the friends, the uh, girls of Israel who were friendly with this, with this woman, the daughter of Yiftach, they visited her, miyomim yomima, they visited her four times a year. If you take a year and you divide it into four parts, you get three months each section. So they visited her four times a year. That's miyomim yomima. Yomim, it seems like you have the word yom doubled twice. It's two times two is four. So they visit her four times a year. That means every three months. And therefore, if you were to use this as the, the, the source for what Yomim means and transfer it to the case of the Nazir Olam, the Nazir Olam would take his haircut once every three months. Not like what Rebbe said once a year. So why is it that Rebbe chooses to learn Nazir Olam for Bote Orichoma leading to the conclusion of once a year and not from here? So the Gemara has a couple of answers, two answers. Number one, Donin Yomim Yomim, V'ein Donin Yomim Mi Yomimo. We want to keep the similarity as tight as possible, so I'll compare the word Yomim to the other context where you find that same word, Yomim, and I'm not going to learn Yomim that you find by the by the Nazir Oilam from a Pesach where the word Yomimo applies. It's a different word. The Gemara asks, Umay nafkamina. what difference does it make if the word is exactly the same or not exactly the same? There's a very brief Tanaic source in which you see comparison between two uh, points within the context of the the laws of a house stricken with leper with uh, with the uh, tsaras 
it says, Vishav HaKoyen Ubo HaKoyen. So in one Pesach, the word Vishav appears, and the other Pesach, the word Bo. They're different words. And we learn Zuhi Shiva, Zuhi Bia. The laws that apply in one case apply in the other case. Once again, we're avoiding getting into the details behind the laws of Tsaras as referred to there in the Pesach. So we see that the exact similarity of words is not the all-important factor in establishing Xerushava, word comparison. So then why is it that just because by the Bas Yiftach in Shoftim, in the Book of Judges, you see the word Yomimo, can we not say, let us learn from there to the Nozirolam that he takes a haircut once every three months? The Gemara answers, Hani Mili Hecho Deleko de this is true that we don't insist on exact similarity when you don't have any other competition for the word comparison. But in a case where you have a word, in our case, Yomim, and we don't know exactly what it means by the Nazir Olam, and I have a choice to compare it to topic number one, where I see the exact same word, like bote orechoma, which would lead me to say once a year, or to compare it to another topic, like by the Bas Yiftach, where the word isn't the same, exactly the same, I would rather compare Yamim to the topic of bote orechoma, where the exact same word appears. So, just to repeat this point, yes, it's true we have flexibility in terms of exactness, but that's when I don't have an alternative source to to which to compare it. But where I have an alternative source to which to compare it, and the words in those two cases are exactly the same, I would opt for that and, uh, and abandon the comparison that would not be exactly the same. E. Boyas Amo. Another uh, answer, another approach to why I'm not going to learn from the Bas Yiftach, which uh, we saw a reference to four times a year she was visited by her friends, and the word Yomima, the reason I'm not going to learn from there is who says that it was an equal division of three months, four times a year. Who says that each visit was after three months? It's true that in the course of the year she was visited by her friends four times, but who says it was four equal divisions of the year? Dilma, Arbo Zimni Bishasa, Arbo, maybe the four times a year is as follows. Arba Yarchin, Chad Zimna, Train Yarchin, Bechad Zimna. After four months, she was visited once, and then after two months, a second time. After four more months, a third time. And after two months, the fourth time. In other words, unequal time gaps that established the visitation. So, the reason that we're not going to learn from the Pesach of Miyomim Yomimo with the Bas Yiftach is simply because we don't have a guarantee, we don't know for sure what the gaps in time were that the words Yomim Yomimo indicate. So if I have something 
that's unsure, and I have the other source, the case of the Bote Yorichoma, where it is sure, I'm going to learn from, I'll take the sure bet, so to speak, and learn Nazir Olam once a year from Bote Yorichoma, and I'm not going to learn the, the Nazir Olam haircut, haircut time frame from a source where the time gaps aren't really clear. And now we go on with a quote from the second opinion above. The arrow to the side helps you to find where it was. Rabbi Nehoroi Omer, Megaleach Achas Lishloishim Yom. According to Rabbi Nehoroi, the Nazir Olam is entitled to lessen his hair burden, take a haircut once every 30 days. My Taimo Gabi Koihanim, Mishum Diiko Koived. Why? Is it that we find Kaihanim taking a haircut once every 30 days? In other words, before a Kohen can serve in the base of Mikdash, he must uh, not have a hair growth on his head of more than 30 days. So, just to keep things simple, we say that a Kohen Hedyot must take a haircut every 30 days. And that's because of COVID, because 30 days of hair growth represents a burden of hair. Hachinami ika COVID. So too here by the Nazir Olam when he uh, reaches a point that the hair is heavy upon his head, so he is entitled to take the haircut. But not within that time, not less than 30 days, because like, like by the coin, you haven't, they haven't reached a situation of it being called COVID. Rabbi Yossi Oimer, Megalech Mer of Shabbos, Lerav Shabbos. Rabbi Yossi was the third opinion that we saw in the source above. The haircut of the Nazir Olam can be once a week, from Friday to Friday. My Iko Binei Lishar Achoi. What's going to be the difference between Avshalom, who was also a Ben Melech, he was a prince, and any other prince, any other Ben Melech? There's a uh, Tosfos in the middle that says, "Ma'iko binei l'shar achoi." In Tomar, you might ask, "V'neimo diko binei." There's an obvious different korbanos. The need to bring sacrifices to who maybe he as a nazir taking a haircut has to bring sacrifices v'lohein, not them. They just out of uh, let's say cosmetic purposes are taking their haircut every Friday. The Yesh Lomar, the answer to this question is, when the Gemara is asking its question, it's asking it as follows, The Posuk seems to indicate that you, you see a difference between Avsholom and his, and his other brothers within the haircut itself. So that of course there are other differences, but within the haircut itself, where do you see a difference? So the Gemara answers. Number one, Yom Tov Shechalios Bem Shabbos. A case of Yom Tov, a holiday falling out in the middle of a week. Bem Shabbos, where Shabbos means, in this case, a week. In such a case, Dachoy Megalchen, the uh, princes, his brothers, would take the haircut uh, on Erev Yom Tov, uh, that is coming out in the middle of the week, but he would not. His haircut is 
literally from Friday to Friday, not in the middle of the week, even if it happens to be uh, the day before a Yom Tov. Inami, Ligluchi, Min Safro Demali Shabbat. Another point of difference uh, would be taking a haircut Friday morning. Safra is the morning of Mali Shabbat. Mali Shabbat is Friday. Achei Megalchin, the brothers would be able to take a haircut at that point. Ihu lo megalech ad panya. He, Avsholom, being a Nozir Olam, is allowed to take a haircut only ad panya, close to evening. The Gemara here asks a question based on that which we mentioned quite a bit earlier. We have a little arrow to the immediate right-hand side of the Gemara text indicating Dalarama Bays, and you can see there the parallel arrow. The Pesach had mentioned that Avshalom uh, mentioned that he wanted to uh, take care of his vow and it was after 40 years so, so that the Pesach opened up with at the conclusion of 40 years so the story involving Avshalom transpired what's the nature of these 40 years it was at the end of 40 what happened 40 years earlier Mishum Rabbi Yeshua Lekates, it was at the end of 40, Mem Shona Sheshala and Melech. The Jewish people, 40 years earlier, had turned to the prophet Shmuel, the prophet Samuel, and asked of them, can we, the Jewish people, can we have a king? Tana. The source tells us, Oisah Shona Sheshala and Melech, the year that they had turned to the prophet Shmuel, requesting to have a king, he shnas eser l'shmuel ramasi. It was the tenth year of Shmuel's rule. He was he ruled as a prophet, as a leader of the Jewish people. Haramasi is a, a reference to Ramah, the place where Shmuel lived. So it was during the tenth year of Shmuel's rule that they turned to him asking for a king. So from that point... Forty years later, the story involving Avshalom had taken place. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.